But we're going to be in the Word of God tonight. We're starting a new series tonight called The Word Versus the World. Now, we understand what the world is all about. We live in it. We see all the junk around us. We see the pain. We see the suffering. But here's what we also find. When we live in the world, we're going to see an ever-changing culture, an ever-changing value system, ever-changing views, and even changing of instructions and, and how we teach and, and how we learn. Even definitions change in our world. And so if we're ever going to be effective in a world that is ever-changing, we're going to need something that is long-lasting, something that is not changing, something that stands forever, something that is unchangeable. In other words, we need something that is solid and sure in an ever-changing world, lest we fall into the same pattern as the world. And if we fall into that same pattern, then what, what do we live for? We're, we're going to be just like the world, going through its ups and downs and, and not really having any value system in our life. So we want to go between the word versus the world. Uh, this series on our Wednesday night kind of goes in tandem with Sunday morning. Sunday morning is good news made simple, so it kind of goes in tandem. But Wednesday night, we're going to kind of pick it apart a little bit more and really talk about why the Word of God is so important. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open it up, and we're, gonna, uh, we're actually going to be in a couple of places, but the first scripture I want us to look at is in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. And Isaiah is in the Old Testament, so it's kind of... Uh, in the middle of your Bible, if you open it up, you'll probably open up to the book of Psalms if you just open up the middle, and then you go past that. You'll go Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then you'll go Songs of Solomon, and then you'll have Isaiah. And Isaiah chapter 40, uh, the Bible gives us just a, a quick reference phrase, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. And you may have heard this before, but it's very simple. Again, the gospel is very simple. The word of God is very simple. We can sometimes complicate it. But Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says this. The grass withers, the flowers fade. And if you know this part, say it together. But the word of our God stands forever. And you might have a different version, so it, but it means the same thing. The word of God never changes. It stands forever. The flowers fade, the grass withers, but the word of our God stands forever. In other words, the world is going to fade away. The world and its ways and the value system of the world is going to wither away. But it's the word of God that will stand forever. Now, when we look at what happens in our world, just with the basic laws and the law system of our world, take the law of gravity. The law of gravity is what it is. That's what gives you your actual weight. You know, body weight, how much we weigh. It's gravity, so you might think, oh, junk this gravity. Well, if you go to the moon, you will weigh a lot less. So our weight is dependent on the law of gravity. So that's good news for some, and we're okay with that. But it's because of this law that is unchanging in our world that we have a consistent, accurate view or accurate reading on our weight when we go on the scale because the law doesn't change. The law is what it is. There are two laws that I want us to kind of look at, that you may have heard about it before. One is called uh, Sutton's Law. And if you want to look, at it, look it up later, you can. But Sutton's Law basically says this, that when diagnosing, one should first consider the obvious. So it suggests that one should first conduct 
the test which could confirm or rule out the most likely diagnosis. Let's just say, for instance, you're outside as a young child and you're running in the grass and you step on something sharp. Could be glass, it could be like a thorn. Now, you feel the pain. The law, Sutton's law says, check under your foot. You're not going to check your hand. You're not going to check your head. You're not going to do a brain scan to see why do I feel this pain? Why is my brain acknowledging that there's pain in my foot? Because really your brain is going to read from the central nervous system why that pain is there. But you go to the quickest, most obvious solution. And what, it is, what is it? It's, there's a thorn or a piece of glass under your foot. So you're going to check on it. That's the law. That's Sutton's law. It's the quickest. What is, the, what is happening right now? What is the obvious choice and the obvious diagnosis and so that's Sutton's law it actually comes from a man by by the name of William Sutton he was he actually robbed banks and he did some criminal activities in the early 1900s and so what he did is he would go where the money is at Sutton's law it, 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 it's, it's kind of likened to when they asked him, why did, you, why did you rob banks? And he said, because that's where the money is. Like the obvious choice is that's where the money is. Now, he denied saying that in one of the books that uh, was uh, written about him. But the law remains the same. Medical science uses Sutton's law. The quickest, what is the most obvious uh, diagnosis that is happening right now? So that's Sutton's law. What is the obvious What is obvious? What is obviously happening right now? What is the quickest, most obvious way we can diagnose this and then treat it? The second law is a a law called Parkinson's law. Now, Parkinson's law states that work expands to fill the time available for its completion. Now, that may seem like what in the world does that mean? Okay, I'll, I'll liken it in this way. If you are a college student or if you've been through college and you have a a, a very important exam, final exam coming up in three months, when do you work on it? Yeah, the night before. That's when you work on it. You work on it the night before. Some of you will try ahead of time and you'll try, you try. Many of you are professional procrastinators, so you do it the night before and, and you try your very best to cram it all in. And so Parkinson's law says it doesn't matter if you have five months or one day, you will, whatever time that is, you're going to use all of that time to fulfill that which you need to fulfill. So some people will say, see, that's just good. I, I might as well procrastinate. No, that's just procrastination. But the law states that no matter how much time you have, you're going to utilize all that time. You're going to look at every opportunity to expand that work to fill the time available for its completion. So let's just take a look at these two laws and then we'll, we'll kind of tie it into where we stand with the word of God and the world. Sutton's law for the obvious, uh, when, when there's an obvious uh, diagnosis, sometimes we don't use that law in our life. The, the obvious things that are happening. In other words, let's just say we're getting into a conflict in our relationship. We will say, obviously, it's the other person. That's what we'll say. But Sutton's law says, no, obviously, it's the quickest, most shortest route. And it's not the other person. It's right here. That's the, that's the obvious choice that should be there. 
But we bypass the so-called Sutton's law and we try to make up our own and say, no, it's the other person. Or with God. We say, God's not doing this. He's not answering my prayers. He's not. And so we'll fill that in. But Sutton's law says, no, that's, a, that's not the obvious. To you, you're trying to bypass something that is actually obvious. And so where are you with the Lord? Where, where are you in your relationship with God? So Sutton's law, can, we can actually bypass it and justify where we're at with God, with the word of God in the world so that it fits our, our liking and it fits our life. The problem with that is you, you end up in a wrong, with a wrong diagnosis. Like the thorn in your foot. Well, I don't want to go that far. I, I don't, I don't want to have to go all the way down there, go out of my way to take that out of my foot. How about I just put a Band-Aid on my hand? There's a Band-Aid. It's going on you. That's, it should work. But that's what we do with our life. There's an obvious thing there. And we try to bypass that and do something else to try and fix what will never be fixed because we're not taking care of the obvious. And the only way we really find out what is the obvious is through the word of God. Because it's unchanging. Our values will change. Our perspectives will change. Our views will change. Definitions will change. You will try to make something work out for your benefit even though it's not the word of God. We'll go on Google and we'll find out how do I change my man? And then you'll look it up And then you try 16 ways to change my man. And then your man is looking at 16 ways to change a woman. But all of that will always change. How to to straighten out your kids. Uh, How to get away with certain things at work. We'll look those things up and and it sounds really good, but it's it's not what's obviously happening. There's something going on in the heart. That's why Jesus always addressed the heart. That's what the word of God does. It judges the intentions and thoughts of the heart, Hebrews 4.12 says. That's what the word of God does. The second law, Parkinson's law. Now this law, it's it's simple. It it just says with with all that time, we're going to, whatever project it is or assignment, we're going to utilize all that time just for this one thing, no matter if it's five days or five weeks. We're going to utilize that time. And what happens in, in our lives is, Let's just say God says, here's your life. In the next five years, I see you growing in your relationship with me, but here are some points that need to be taken care of along the way. Well, if God says it's going to happen in five years, but we bypass, no, no, I don't need to take care of that. No, I don't need to give that up. No, I don't, I don't need to change here. No, I don't need to do this different. No, I don't need to go to church every time. I don't need to give to you. I don't need, like we, we just bypass all of that. Five years go by. You know what God says? You, you're, you're, you stretched it out now. You, you now have another five years and you haven't changed one bit. You, you know what was supposed to take place. You may have compromised here. You may have done some good things here and there, but and not in the context of what it was supposed to be like in other words we don't grow how we should we don't bear fruit how we should because we bypass this law and we actually say to God he'll say five years we'll say how about 15 how about 15 years I think many of us have come to this place with God we say God if you do this 
for me, I will give you my entire life. God, if you, God, if you, if you, if you, okay, if, if you, if you take care of my mortgage this week, Lord, just, just this week, I can come church every day, every single day. Maybe not every day, maybe like every other day, but I can serve. I'll serve you, Lord. If you do this, I will serve you. But maybe not serve you all the time, but I'll, I'll serve you. Like we, we start off with, I'll give you my all, and then we slowly trickle it down little by little by little. And then 10, 15 years later, we're still at the same place. Same to God, the same thing. Because we bypassed this law. Well, I think, I think there's a better way. And it has to do with the word of God. It, it has, there has to be a better way for us to live as believers. And it, it has to be from the word of God. That's why there is going to be that contest between the world and the word of God. It will always have that contest. You determine who will win in your life. We already know between the word of God and the world that the word of God wins. We know that already. The word of God wins. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. So the word of God wins. Now here's what's weird about this. Here's the winning team, and we say, too hard. This is the winning team. This is a guarantee win. And we say, too hard. This is a guarantee win. But we'd rather go into the ways of the world only to admit later God was right. There is no possible way for us to bypass the laws of God and prove him incorrect. No possible way. As the Bible says, God will prove every man a liar and God will be proven true. No matter how we try and twist it and turn it, God's word will abide forever. So how do we, how do we navigate then through the ways of the world and, and how, do we, how do we win in the word of God? How, how, do we, how do we get the word of God in us and how do we become people who truly believe that it's going to have to be the word of God in our lives to be the foundation in which we are to stand forever. Well, we're going to look at a couple of things because we can all navigate very well through whatever changes the world goes through by the way we answer these three questions when it comes to the Bible. And here's the first question. What is written? It's the first question we've got to ask ourselves. What is written? Any situation you will find yourself in, you're going to find the solution in the Word of God. Any situation. You've got to go back to what is written. Not what does, what, what does what, what do certain people believe or what this person says, but what, what does the Word of God say? What is written? What is written? See, even though the devil is a defeated foe, he's not dumb. He's very crafty. Even though he's been conquered, he's very crafty. And he knows our weaknesses. He's a conquered foe, but he's also a crafty one. So we're not going to turn to other people's opinions, how we feel, revenge, whose job is that, whose fault is it. We're going to go to what is written. What does God say? Now in the book of Matthew chapter 4, you can turn your Bibles there. 
in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4. Some of you heard this story before, maybe you've read it before, but this is when Jesus was tempted by the devil. Satan tempted Jesus Christ. So if you've ever wondered, does Jesus understand what I go through? Yes, Jesus went through everything, every temptation you and I will ever come across and he overcame it. And he did not sin. So he has the power to overcome any temptation that comes our way because he is going to give that power to us. So in Matthew chapter 4, I'll read from verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The wilderness is the desert. So it wasn't some oasis. It wasn't the Hapuna Prince Hotel. It wasn't some nice place that, oh, I can go fast and pray. Where? Hotel. No, he went to the wilderness, desert. So he's there in the desert to be tempted by the devil. He didn't go on some retreat, some place where he could kind of just meditate and breathe a little bit and get away from the noise. No, he went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil himself. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, guess what happens after that? Yeah, you hungry. We fast six hours, we hungry. We don't really fast, we just never ate. So for 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. So the devil will always get us where we're weakest. He knows our weaknesses. Jesus was fasting for 40 days, 40 nights, and the devil knew it. So the devil came to him and tempted him where he was supposedly at his weakest point, supposedly. Watch Jesus' response to this. And Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out from the mouth of God. It's like, wow, the, the comeback that Jesus had against the enemy. He was right on the money, right on the spot. He didn't contemplate. He didn't compromise. He didn't think it through and think, Oh, yeah, that rock can look like bread. He just knew what to say. Why? Because it was already written. It was written. What Jesus was about to say has already been said. So listen very carefully. When the devil tempts you, what you're about to say has already been written. In other words, you already have the weapon because of the word of God. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. It's already been written. So when you get tempted with something in the world, go back to the word. It is written. Just go back to the word of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And now the devil uses Jesus' own phrase and says, for it is written. See, the devil, he, but he's still defeated. He said, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And... In their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. stone. Sounds so good. The devil presents it so well to Jesus Christ himself, which Jesus is the word, so you really can't, you know, do anything about that. But the devil tried that it is written. This is what the the word of God says. He presents that to the Lord, and Jesus says to him, it is written again. Like, don't try to use... The word of God to justify 
what do you want me to do? Because I think we do that often, don't we? We say, it is written. We go to the Bible. No, I can do that. The Bible says, so long as I don't get drunk, I can drink. It is written. So Jesus says, it is written again. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Here's a big problem with that. The devil was only presenting to Jesus what Jesus already owned. The devil is so subtle at trying to present something to you that you probably already possess. He just twists it in his favor. Could be your marriage. You already have a great marriage. You didn't have to look elsewhere. You have wisdom in your finances. You didn't have to do anything shady. God already gave you possession. And Jesus already has given you authority over your family. You already have it. But the devil comes in and he's, he words it in such a way that it, it just takes us by surprise and it leads us elsewhere. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. See, Jesus went back to what was written. You know, we, we have things written in our world today. And we always go back to what is written. When you, when you have a mortgage and you're going to sell or you, you're done paying off your house, you're, you don't have a mortgage anymore and you're going to sell your house, you go back to the papers, the ownership papers of it. Or if you're going to sell your car, you go back to the paperwork. When you get married, you sign a marriage license and you put it on paper. There, there's a contract that we put, put together so that it's binding. And we put our signature on it so that it's lasting. This is our contract. This is what is law. This is what is written. The U.S. Constitution, it was written. The Declaration of Independence, it is written. These things are written so that it's more than words or assumption that is being said. It's actually something that is solidified. It's resolute. And when something is in writing, no matter what changes take place, what is written never does. It's, it's solid. It's true. But isn't it also true that even in our world today, like with sports, contracts can be broken. Marriage license can be broken. Contracts. Even though we write it, it can still be broken. But the word of God abides forever. It's the word of our God that stands strong forever. See, even contracts that we write, is not solid and sure, even though it should be. But it's the word of God that is solid and sure. And that's the difference between the word and the world. The word is solid and true, never changes. The world will constantly go through changes. So that's the question. What is written? What is written? Even, Even the devil himself can find what we call loopholes. You know, it's tax season. Everyone's looking for loopholes. Can I write this off? Can I write that off? Can I write this off? Hey, we bought that, right? Can we, can we write that off? Hey, we went to Disneyland, but how can I throw that into like a business trip? 
Can I just kind of, I was doing research with Mickey Mouse. How can I, how can I, how can I find the, the greatest leverage? Like we do that. It's, it's, it's the way of the world. But we're not of the world. We're of the word of God. So when it comes to the word of God, here's the second thing. How do I read it? That's what you got to ask yourself. How do I read it? How do, how do I read the word of God? Am I reading the word of God to justify? Am I reading the word of God to find fault? Am I reading the word of God just to read, to be a Christian? To, am I, do I read the word of God for show? Do I read the word of God to make me feel good? Do I read the word of God to look for something that makes me feel good? How do I read the word of God? I mean, have we ever asked ourselves that question? How do I read the word of God? How am I reading it? How is it speaking to me? What am I trying to get from the word of God? How do I read it? Now, you can use it for your advantage, the word of God, or you can use it for the way God intended us or intended the word of God to be used. This is why I encourage all of us to read through the Bible because when you read through the Bible, you have an accurate view of the whole scope of what God was intending for us to receive from him. If we just go to our favorite scriptures or read some type of devotional book or some type of pamphlet, you only catch snippets here and there. You just get little things here and there. But if you go through the entire Bible, you'll get an accurate view of the entirety of God's word. Then you have balance because you have the grace of God, but you also have the truth of God. And you bring those two together and then you'll find that it's going to benefit you tremendously. And you're going to learn the whole heart of God. Turn to, turn to Luke chapter 10, uh, right after Matthew, Mark, then Luke chapter 10. And in Mark chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. This is, um, I think for those of you who do construction or those of you who uh, have built a home, or those of you who uh, build Legos, uh, those of you, some of you build Legos, I see you guys at your house, you guys build Legos, uh, some of you, uh, you guys just do things around the house, and you stack things up, uh, you're going to be able to understand this concept, and if you don't, you, you kind of still will, because uh, that's the only way you understand what a foundation is all about, so Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 25, It says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. And he said to him, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? What is your reading of it? Like, what are you you getting from it? And so he answered and he said, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. And we talked about this on Sunday. Very simple. Very simple. So now, here comes the, the question. Wanting to justify himself, he said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Who, who's my neighbor? Like, this wise lawyer this expert in the religious law he he's trying to find a loophole like how 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 can i kind of get out of this one love god with all your heart soul mind and strength yeah that's what the that's how i read it 
And, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, I got that. And Jesus says, yep, correctly. Do this and you will live. Okay, if I do that, now this is what we normally fall into is when Jesus says something as simple as that, we try to find the quickest, most easiest way out of what Jesus just said because it's truth. Truth is sometimes hard to do. But it yields the greatest return. It's the greatest return. So he says, who's, who's my neighbor? And Jesus has such a, a great example, great illustration, great story. He says, well, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to, to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Kind of traumatic story. I mean, this is like an like action story. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Because remember, priests, if you're reading in our devotions, uh, if they touched a, a body that was dead or an unclean body, then they were unclean. Then they would be ceremonially unclean. They couldn't participate with the worship, and they had to be out for seven days and then go through a cleansing process. So the priest stayed on the other side and said, oh, I'm not going to go and bother this guy. Likewise, a Levite. So you had a priest and a Levite. These are two people who were critical in the worship to God in the sanctuary that they would build or the tabernacle in the, in the Old Testament. So Jesus is using these two people that should be the ones that would give this guy help. So he says, yeah, there's also a Levite. When he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side too. And then he brings in a third person. Now, they understood what a priest represented. They understood what a Levite represented. But then Jesus brings in a third party, a Samaritan. Samaritans had nothing to do with Jews, nor did they have anything to do with the sanctuary, nor did they have anything to do with God's chosen people in the way of doing the worship uh, 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 cleansing and anointing all of the utensils. They had nothing to do with that. The priests, Levites, they did. So Jesus brings in this third party and you can almost sense the lawyer thinking, what does this Samaritan have to do with the priest and the Levite? He doesn't even match in this story. What kind of storyteller are you? So he brings in the Samaritan, and as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, the Samaritan had compassion. So now it's like the lawyer is beginning to understand, wait a minute, that wasn't even, the Samaritan wasn't even obligated to help. The Samaritan would be the last person to help. The Samaritan had all the right, had all the emotion to not help. If any one of those three, it would be the Samaritan who would be justified to walk on the other side of the road. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds. The Samaritan went to the, went to the wounded man, bandaged his wounds, pouring, and, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three, Jesus poses this question now, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer replied, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus says, now go and do likewise. 
what Jesus did with this one man who was trying to find the loophole, trying to find what, how can this work in my favor? Jesus gave, gave him a basic illustration of what it means to be a neighbor. And he said simply, do the same thing. Just do the same thing. In other words, when you read the word of God, read it for the depth of what it's intended to mean rather than just surface value. You dig deep. And sometimes we got to dig deep because on the, on the surface of our heart, we have layers and layers and layers and layers of hurt, pain, suffering, abandonment, betrayal, backstabbing, distrust, unforgiveness. And it's going to have to be the word of God to penetrate deep down into our hearts. How do you read it? How are you reading the Bible? How are you digesting it? Are you, are you even taking it in? Because you're, you're going to need non-changing godly values for an ever-changing world. Otherwise, you and I will fade along with the rest of the world. The grass withers and the flowers fade away. But it's the word of our God that stands forever. So here's the last thing, number three. Very simple. Am I doing what the Bible says? Am I doing what the Bible says? Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to um, bring condemnation. What I'm trying to bring is that conviction of, am I doing what the Bible says? Because in order for us to have Bible blessing, we've got to do it Bible way. If we want God's blessing, we've got to do it God's way. We do that in our homes. When, when our children ask us, can I sleep over so-and-so's house? But did you do your chores? No. Well, then you need to do your chores first. Then you can go. Then they do their chores, and then they can go. Why? Because that's part of what mommy and daddy said. That's, that's the way it is in our home. You do what I say, everything's all good. So the question is, am I doing what the Bible says? Now, I, I heard this before, that uh, the acrostic Bible, you know, if you take B-I-B-L-E, you can use that acrostic, and, and you can turn it into basic instructions before leaving earth. Okay, so you can take it as that. So let's just say for, just for uh, example's sake, now let's just say that's what it stood for. Basic instructions before leaving earth. We don't like instructions, do we? We, we just don't like instructions. Now some of you, and, and I'm, I, fell in, I fall into this category, I actually read the instructions when I have to put something together. Because I've learned long ago when I just say, ah, I can, I can figure this out. I can put this together. I can put the swing set together. I can put the bed together. Got like five springs left over, two screws. And I'm like, ah, they gave me too much. You, you go on the bed, it starts wobbling. It's like, what, junk this thing, take them back. No, you didn't follow instructions. Or you put the whole thing together. You're like, how come there's no match? All the poles look the same. No, it's not. It's like a quarter inch difference. And you needed to put that one someplace else. So you got to take the whole thing apart and then read the instructions from one, two, three, and so forth. Or you just duct tape them and you leave it. It's either way, something's going to have to happen because we don't like following instructions. I mean, I, I have the hardest time when before GPS came out and I get lost and Heidi says, just go pull over there and go ask. I'm like, I'm not, I ain't asking. I ain't pulling over to 7-Eleven asking them where Walmart is, no possible way. I actually, when I first moved here to Hilo, I got lost in Hilo town. I'm like going in circles. I'm like, how can this be? How in the world? And this is in the early 90s. 
when never had anything and I got lost. And I was like, how can this be? How can I get lost on an island? And I was just going in circles. And the reason I kept going in circles is because I didn't ask for directions. It's just that simple. The Bible is very simple. God is a very simple God. You ask him, you shall receive. We just don't like sometimes what we receive. Am I actually obeying the Bible? When the Bible says something, do I follow the instructions? Because instructions can be difficult, yes, but is the best thing for the best possible result. Last scripture, uh, last passage, Matthew chapter 7. Actually, this is the one I was alluding to earlier, so it probably never made sense when I talked about foundations. So you just skip that, bring it here, cut, edit, bring it right here, talk about foundations. Matthew chapter 7, and if you don't know what I just said right now, then fine, that works anyway. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Uh, The Bible says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. We cannot forget that part. And does them. We're very good at hearing the word of God. We love the word of God. We memorize the word of God. We leave church crying, oh, the word of God is so good today. We tell people, we give them CDs, DVDs, download podcasts, and we watch it. And we, we, we watch online all the word of God. We love the word of God. It's sweet. I love the word of God. But do we do it? It's like, oh, now it's not sweet. It's not easy. It's, it's, it's not delightful. It's difficult. It's only difficult when we don't want to. It's just that simple. It's only difficult when we don't want to. It's very easy when we want to. But the Word of God is not obedient-oriented by what we feel. It's obedient-oriented by itself. It's a promise by itself. The question is, am I going to be included in it? The promises are there. The question is, am I going to be a part of it? It's already there. God gave us authority. We are his inheritance. Or he is our inheritance. What, What he has, he gives to us. But we're the ones who have to dive in and mine for the words and then do them. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. See, a foundation for any structure must always be built on solid rock or a concrete slab or, or that which has a solid foundation under it. Like this, this sanctuary right here, we had to dig deep down to hit blue rock before we started laying more foundation because it was built on a pasture. I don't know the entire process. All I know is we hit some blue rock out there in the field. We got to quarry on our own land and use that rock to bring in fill so that we could have a solid foundation. Every building that you see, the bigger the building, the bigger the foundation. Skyscrapers have amazing foundations. 
because the building is so big. It has to hold that much weight. Now, what if someone came to you and you're building your house, mansion, big house, maybe 10,000 square feet. That's pretty huge. So a mansion that big. They came to you and as you're building, they said, hey, hey, um, before you lay your foundation, I can cut your costs for you. Really? Yeah, how much are you paying to build this whole thing? It's like $4.5 million. $4.5 million? I can save you $2 million. Really? Yeah. Well, what is it going to look like? Let me show you the pictures. And they show you a nice picture. Same thing. Exact same image of your picture. And you say, oh, yeah, you build it then. And then they build your home and, you, and then they're done. You pay them and you save $2 million. And then you ask him, how did you save? Oh, I, I, easy. I just never put foundation. Easy. You just don't have foundation. What do you mean I don't have foundation? The, the building's up. Yeah, yeah, the building's up, but you don't have foundation. There's nothing under it to hold up your house. Now, wouldn't you at that point just die? You'd be like, I would rather have paid the $2 million rather than save the $2 million and live in this house for I don't know how many months. <laughs> but we do that with our very lives, don't we? We just want to live with no foundation because it takes a lot of time, effort, resources to build a firm foundation. But that's what the Word of God is. It's a firm foundation. We need the Word of God because the bigger your life, the bigger the foundation. You want a small life? You don't need too much foundation. You can skim by, you can cut corners, you can take shortcuts, you can have a mediocre life. That's up to you. If you want a mediocre life, that's your choice, then just put a mediocre foundation. Whatever your foundation is, so goes the rest. But if you want a mansion of a life, a skyscraping life, you're going to have to have a solid foundation. And it better not be the world because it will fade away. It will wither because there's no foundation. But it's the word of God that stands forever. Some of us fall into this pattern. We fall into not upgrading our life. Now, we understand upgrading because we have these gadgets. You know, sometimes a, a thing will pop up and say, uh, do you want to download the newest version of whatever uh, smart gadget you have? And then you say download and you upgrade. You go with a better version. Uh, sometimes we upgrade with uh, different uh, software and, and things like that. So we upgrade and we do better, we do better. But sometimes we upgrade only in the ways of the world. Like we try to follow the trends of the world rather than forget the trends of the world. How can I upgrade in the word of God? How can I upgrade my spirit? How can I strengthen my spirit? How can I be a, a, a Sheldon Loxena 2.0? Then then go 3.0. And then 4.0. And you keep... You keep growing in the Lord. You just upgrade and upgrade and upgrade. And listen very carefully. It's not about being smarter or trying to up somebody else or trying to be better than someone else. You're just trying to be the best you that you can be. And you upgrade a little bit here and there, here and there. Versus trying to just wing it through life and just upgrade in the ways of the world. Because the problem with that is even in the world, when you try to upgrade in the ways of the world... When everybody continues to upgrade, you're all the same. Everyone's still the same. Trying to get more money, trying to be more famous, trying to get more likes, 
more hits, more people, more followers. It's the same thing. There's no upgrading in the world. It's just a roller coaster ride. There is, there's no getting better in the world because in the end, the flowers fade and the grass withers. But it's the word of our God that stands forever. So we upgrade with the word of God. If you don't, if you don't upgrade to the word and you continue to just upgrade in the world, you can still be a Christian. Did you know that? But what you become is you become a professional, worldly Christian. Yeah, you know what to say. You know how to sing. You know how to appear. You know all the things. You know, you, you, even, you even say, praise the Lord. Everything is praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know what to say. You got the Christianese down. Like, you know what to say. You can pop out of your mouth. Other words pop out too. But you also say hallelujah. Yeah, you, you can do it. But you're just a, you, we become professional, worldly Christians. And Jesus addressed the Pharisees and he says, you look so good on the outside, but the inside you're full of dead men's bones. And so what we actually do is we end up not using God's word as a strong foundation. We actually use God's word as more like, like a landing place. Like the way, the way I'll, I'll put it is we have... God's word, and it's like the rock. This is, this is God's word. I'll just put the Bible. This is God's word. It's a rock, solid foundation in which we can stand. Victory. That's God's word. We can stand on God's word. It's firm, it's solid, immovable, unchanging. And this is the word and this can be like the world. Now, you'll still have the Word of God. You still have the Bible. Because we used to live this way. And we, we try to excel and we climb up higher and higher in the ways of the world. And then we're, we call it on top of the world. Yeah, we're on top of the world. But we have no foundation. There's just no foundation. Then when we fall, the bottom, because it is the word of God, it's not a solid foundation in which we can build our life off of. When we fall, this is not a firm foundation. You know what this is? Padding. It's padding. It's when you, like with the word of God, We'll go as far as we can go in the world. Then when we fall, we can always fall back on the word of God because it's padding. We can find comfort. We can find his grace. We can find his love. We can find hope again. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with the word of God giving us comfort and peace and joy. Nothing wrong with that. But the question is this. Would you rather the word of God be your foundation in which to build your life upon or the word of God be padding in which you fall to? This is cyclical. You're going to continue to do the same thing over and over. This is promising. 
The grass will wither and the flowers will fade. But the word of God will stand forever. You just decide what the word of God is going to represent in your life. It's the world versus the word. You determine the winner. I pray that we would be people who say, no, the Bible is going to be a strong foundation for my life in which to build off of. And Jesus says when you do that, he likens you to a wise man who built his house on the solid rock. The rains are going to come. The storms are going to descend. But your house will continue to stand. Your life will continue to stand. And I pray during this series as we talk about the word versus the world that we'll see that, yep, in an ever-changing world, we're going to need a non-changing godly value system so that we can continue to flourish. Could you say amen to that? We're going to pray together. Would you just bow your heads? I'm going to invite Grace into the keyboard. And I just want to pose a couple questions. And I know we asked about them, but just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just kind of think some things through. When we read the Bible, how do we read it? What is written? Are we actually doing what the Bible says? Yeah, it's challenging, but it, is, it yields the best possible results when we do what the Bible actually says and follow through. Yes, it may not be easy, but it is simple. And so I, I, I pray tonight that maybe there are some questions that you're asking yourself, like, how, well, how do I get stronger in this? How do I do better with this? Just some practical ways that do help. One is devotions. It's reading the Bible. We have wonderful devotional plans that you can check out in the bookstore. There are wonderful devotional plans that you can read through the Bible in a year through different Bible apps. So there are ways. You just got to seek them out. Getting involved in ministry helps because you're connected with the body of Christ at a, at a different level. being consistent with attending church weekly because it keeps you consistent with your spirit. And it's building a foundation for your life. It's, it's those challenges that come up. The word of God abides forever. Everything else is going to wither and fade away. And so Lord, I, I pray for all of us tonight that we would build our life off of the foundation of your word rather than your word just be padding for us. We want to be kingdom builders and it's going to require a foundation. The bigger the building, the bigger the foundation. And so we ask, Lord, that you would give us vision for our life, vision for our families vision for our future, vision for our marriages, our community, our work environment, and help us win when it comes to the word and the world. We determine the winner. Tonight, Lord, from this day forward, we choose the word. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen, amen, amen.